Okay. Well, you know, it's it's already one of those days. Um, yeah, you hear this dinging in the background. I work from home, and uh, that yeah, that's my messaging system. Ugh. I did not get my podcast done this morning because uh, I am I was trying to write some fan fiction that needed to be written. Gosh darn it! And um. Yeah, so I didn't do my podcast this morning. I was like, oh, I'll do it on my break during work. It sounded so idyllic and so so easy and so, so wrong. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we're at chapter six today, and I think the only chapter note at this point is to just remind you all um, that um, they had these things uh, called parks. Um, and so the park, when they talk about like a park at, um, a large estate house or something, they often need like a large open piece of land that's, you know, nice to look at. Um, uh, and oftentimes rich, very rich people would have, um, a few sheep or, you know, some, some livestock just for appearances. Um, not really because they need to farm any sheep or anything, but it just created a picture uh, when you looked out the window of, of a park um, or what they would call a park. And so that was a, what park is. And then uh, the reminder was that this is definitely during the neoclassical revival movement. Uh, so Greek and Roman cultures are very in vogue. Um, and uh, so a lot of rich places had little Grecian um, sort of nooks and like things in their park so they'd have a like a little amphitheater you know a tiny one or you know a gazebo but with corinthian columns or they'd have statues of nymphs and things that were right out of you know what we think of as a classical greek thing um but anyway it was just it was just very in vogue so that would be what they talk about and other than that it's a short chapter um and i will come back and record it on my lunch break because I have already used up my whole other break, and oh, time. Time is a funny, slippery thing. But here we go with chapter six. One other call on Harley Street, a short take-leave call, in which Eleanor received her brother's congratulations on their traveling so far towards Barton without any expense, and on the colonel's being able to follow them into Cleveland in a day or two, completed the intercourse of the brother and sisters in town. And a faint invitation from Fanny to come to Norland whenever it should happen to be in their way, which all of the things which were most unlikely to occur, with a more warm, though, and less public assurance from John to Eleanor, with the preemptitude with which he should come to see her at Delaford, all that was foretold without meeting in the country. Was all that foretold any meeting in the country. It amused her to observe that her friend seemed so determined to send her to Delaford, a place in which, of all others, she would now least choose to visit or wish to reside, for it was not only considered as her future home by her brother and Mrs. Jennings, but even Lucy, when they parted, gave her a pressing invitation to visit her there. Very early in April, and tolerably early in the day, the two parties from Hanover Square and Berkeley Street were set out from their respective homes to meet by appointment on the road. For the convenience of Charlotte and her child, there was little more than two days 
there would be more than two days on their journey, and Mr. Palmer, traveling more expeditiously with Colonel Brandon, was to join them at Cleveland soon after their arrival. Marianne, few as had been her hours of confined comfort in London, and eager as she had long been to quit it, could not, when it came to the point, bid adieu to the house in which she had for the last time enjoyed those hopes and that confidence in Willoughby, which was now exhausted forever, without great pain. Nor could she leave the place with, in which Willoughby remained, busy with new engagements and new schemes, in which she could have no share, without shedding many tears. Eleanor's satisfaction at the moment of her removal was more positive. She had no such object for her lingering thoughts to fix on. She left no creature behind uh, for from whom it gave her a moment's regret to be divided forever. She was pleased to free herself of from the persecution of Lucy's friendship, and she was grateful for bringing her sister away unseen by Willoughby since his marriage. And she looked forward with hope to what a few months of tranquility at Barton might do towards restoring Marianne's peace of mind and confirming her own. Their journey was safely performed. The second day brought them into the cherished or prohibited county of Somerset, for as such it was dwelt in by turns in Marianne's imagination, and in the forlorn of the third they drove up for noon, not forlorn, for noon. I've never seen that word before, so that's why. For noon of the third they drove up to Cleveland. Cleveland was spacious, modern-built house situated on a sloping lawn. It had no park, but the pleasure grounds were tolerably expensive. Extensive. Excuse me. I am all over the place. Should not do this during the workday. You can only imagine what I'm like talking on the phone with people when I can hardly talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like every other place of the same degree of importance, it had open shrubbery, a closer wood walk, and the river road... <laughs> Jesus. I should probably re-record this whole thing. A road of smooth gravel winding round the plantation led to the front. The lawn was dotted over with timber, and the house itself under the guardianship of the fir, the mountain ash, and the acacia, and the thick screen of them all together, interspersed with tall Lombardy poplars, shut out the offices. Marianne entered the house with a heart swelling with emotion from the consciousness of being only eight miles from Barton, and not thirty from Comagna, and before she had been five minutes within its walls, while they were busy helping Charlotte, she threw to show okay i really while the others were busy helping charlotte show her child to the housekeeper she quitted it again stealing away through the winding shrubberies just now beginning to be in beauty and to gain a distant emerance from where from its grecian temple her eye wandering over the wide tract of country to the southeast could fondly rest on the farthest ridge of the horizon and fancy in their summits co magna might be seen in such a moment of precious, of invaluable memory, misery, she rejoiced in tears of agony to be at Cleveland, as she returned to a different circuit of the house, feeling all the privileged happy of a country liberty, of wandering from place to place in free, luxurious solitude. She resolved to spend almost every hour of every day while she remained with the Palmers to indulge in such solitary rambles. She returned just in time to join the others as they quitted at the house on an excursion through its more immediate premises and the rest of the morning was easily whiled away in lounging around the kitchen garden examining the bloom upon its walls and listening to the gardener's lamentation upon the blights and dawdling in through the greenhouse where the loss of her favorite plants 
unwarily exposed and nipping of the lingering frost raised the laughter of Charlotte and visited her poultry yard where the disappointed hopes of a dairy maid by hens forsaking their nests or being stolen by a fox or the rapid disease of decease of a promising young brood she found the sources of great merriment the morning was fine and dry and marianne and her plan of employment abroad had not calculated for any change of weather during their stay at cleveland with great surprise therefore did she find herself prevented by a settling rain from going out again after dinner she had depended upon the twilight walk to the grecian temple and perhaps over all the grounds and an evening merely cold or damp would not have deterred her from it but a heavy rain settled, and even she could not fancy dry or pleasant weather for walking. Their party was small, and the hours passed quietly away. Mrs. Palmer had the child, and Mrs. Jennings her carpet work. They talked of friends they'd left behind, arranged Lady Middleton's engagements, and wondered whether Mr. Palmer and Colonel Brandon would get further than Reading tonight. Eleanor, however, was little concerned in it. She joined in their discourse, and... Marianne, who had a knack of finding her way in every house to the library, however it might be avoided by the family in general, soon procured herself a book. Nothing was wanting on Mrs. Palmer's side that the constant and friendly good humor could do to make themselves feel welcome. The openness and heartiness of her manner more than atoned for that want of recollection and elegance which made her often deficient in the forms of politeness. Her kindness, recommended by so pretty a face, was engaging. Her folly, though evident, was not disgusting, because it was not conceited, and Eleanor could have forgiven her everything but her laugh. The two gentlemen arrived the very next day to a very late dinner, affording a pleasant enlargement of the party and a very welcome variety into their conversation, which a long morning of the same continued rain had reduced very low. Eleanor had seen so little of Mr. Palmer, and in that had little seen so much variety of his address as to her sister herself, that she knew not in what to expect to find him in his own family. She found him, however, perfectly the gentleman in all his behavior to his visitors, and only occasionally rude to his wife and her mother. She found him very capable of being a pleasant companion, and only prevented from being so always by too great an aptitude to fancy himself as much superior to people in general as he must feel himself be to be Mrs. Jennings and Charlotte. For the rest of his character and habits they were marked, as far as Eleanor could perceive, with no traits at all unusual in his sex and time of life. He was nice in his eating, uncertain in his hours, fond of his child, though affecting to slight it, and idled away the mornings at billiards, which ought to have been devoted to business. She liked him, however, upon the whole, much better than she had expected, and in her heart was not sorry that she could like him no more, was not sorry to be driven by the observation of Epicurism, his selfishness and his conceit, to rest with the complicity of the remembrance of Edward's generous temper, simple taste, and different feelings, diffident feelings. Of Edward, or at least of some of his concerns, she now received intelligence from Colonel Brandon who had been at Dorsetshire lately, and who, treating her at once the disinterested friend of Mr. Ferrers, and the kind confidant of himself, talked to her a great deal of the parsonage at Delaford, described its deficiencies, and told her what he meant to do to himself towards removing them. His behavior towards her in this, as well as to everybody other in particular, his open pleasure in meeting her after the absence of only ten days, his readiness to converse with her, his deference for her opinion, might very well be enough to justify Mrs. Jennings' persuasion of his attachment, 
and would have been enough perhaps had not Eleanor still from the first believed Marianne is his real favorite, make her suspect it herself. But it was such a notion that scar scarcely ever entered her head, except by Mrs. Jennings' suggestion, and could not help believing herself the nicer observer of the two. She watched his eyes while Mrs. Jennings thought only of his behavior, and while his looks of anxious solicitude on Marianne's feelings of in her head and throat, the beginning of a heavy cold, become unexpressed by words, entirely escaped the latter lady's observation. She could discover in them the quick feelings, the needless alarm of a lover. Two delightful twilight walks on the third and fourth evenings of her being there, not merely from the dry gravel of the shrubbery, but all over the grounds, and especially in the more distant parts of them, there was something more of the wildness in the rest, where the trees were the oldest, and the grass was the longest and wettest, and had, assisted by still greater imprudence of sitting in her wet shoes and stockings, given Marianne a cold so violent as though, for a day or two trifled with or was denied, forced itself by increasing ailments on the present concern of everybody, and then notice of herself. Prescriptions poured in from all quarters, and, as usual, were all declined. Though heavy and feverish, with a pain in her limbs, a cough, and a sore throat, a good night's rest was to cure her entirely, and it was with difficulty that Eleanor prevailed on her when she went to bed to try her one, of two, one or two of the simplest remedies. End chapter 6 Okay, so remember last chapter when I said hopefully she would not have to see her brother too much more or she'd have to go say farewell? Well, she went to go say farewell, and that worked out about as well as we thought it would. Um, ugh, her brother. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Um, yeah, everyone's got her slated down for Colonel Brandon. But she's right, you know, he is paying her a lot of attention, but... It's not directed, you know, he, he's being very kind to her and very nice to her, but is he doing it in a loverly way? Mm, not so much. He seems, his eyes, she said, are still on Marianne, um, and his worry is still about Marianne. So I think he's just a friend with Eleanor. Um, and in this day and age, there really wasn't such a thing as just a male friend. Um, everyone had suppo to suppose it to be something, but, um... You know, if she was a married woman, again, it, it would still be hard to have a male friend because you're a married woman. Why are you friends with a man? What about your husband? What does he think? You know, it was just one of those societies. Like, if, for better or worse, largely for worse, mind you, um, that was what that was back then. So, yeah, so Eleanor's a friend to Colonel Brandon, and he's being a doll, and Marianne is being antisocial, and I loved... The whole, she gave herself a cold by walking in the wet and like, okay, so obviously we now know how colds actually work. Um, thank you, science, always. Uh, but, you know, back then, that it is probably likely she did have a weakened immune system after so long indoors, being so depressed. We know that does weaken people's immune system. Sorry, uh, I have a timer to remind me when to quit and go off break. So that was my timer. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> scared my cat. Did it scare you? <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, so so Marianne's sick. 
Uh, but, you know, in typical Marianne style, she just, she's going to get better tomorrow. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, and the days before penicillin, that was not always the case. You know, if once you had a fever, things could get very dicey very fast because there was no real good way to bring down a fever. Your body had to kind of ride it out. And um, sometimes it did and sometimes it didn't. So fevers could be quite deadly uh, in this era. Um, so even things like a simple common cold, that could be it. So we'll have to watch out for Marianne next chapter, and I'll stop before the timer goes off again. Bye for now.